Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 80s Decade of Crime. I'm your host, Luke Pacheco. So this week, we're going to be covering Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. The Night Stalker. Richard was a very prolific serial killer. He killed at least 14 people, and he tortured, robbed, and just ruined dozens more people's lives in the process. So this guy was an absolute terror everywhere in California. It was just all happened in our wonderful decade in the 1980s. So, briefly, we're going to go back to the 60s for a moment, and we'll talk about Richard's beginnings. Now, Richard was born to the fifth child to Mercedes and Julian Ramirez. Fun fact, Richard was born on February 29th. I have literally never met anybody that's born on a leap year. Hey, so if you're born on February 29th, congratulations, you share a birthday with Night Stalker. Richard's childhood was not off to a great start. He unfortunately suffered multiple head injuries, and after one where he fell off a swing, he developed epilepsy, and he had a lot of seizures, and it was all at the age of five. Now, along with this, he did not have a very good home life. Uh, He was troubled with an abusive father. And this led Richard to have a really close relationship with his older cousin, Miguel. Now, Miguel, he had just returned home from the Vietnam War and turned out to not really be any better of an influence than his father was on him. So, and one of the, another fun fact is that Richard would frequently, to escape his troubled home life, he would run away and he would spend the night in the local cemetery. So he found solace among the dead. Uh, very creepy. I would never sleep in a cemetery. Now, his close relationship with Miguel was very strange. Him and Miguel, he was only like 10, 11 years old at the time. Miguel, they would smoke pot together, and he would share his crazy stories from Vietnam, and he told them all these gruesome tales of the women that he raped and mutilated over there, and he would back it all up with pictures that he took. One of the pictures was of... Miguel holding the head of a woman that he raped and then he severed her head. So he was just holding the head of his victim. Now, their relationship also extended to Miguel kind of training Richard. He he taught them all these military skills and different tactics and all, including also how to properly kill somebody. All of this kind of came to an end when Richard was 13. So after three years, three plus years of having real strong influence with Miguel, he was hanging out with him again, and Miguel and his wife got into a fight. And during the fight, Miguel shot and killed his wife. And Richard was there and witnessed this entire thing. And Miguel, he actually pled not guilty due to insanity, and he only served four years in a mental institution. That's it. So this, the drugs and the trauma just fueled a bunch of Richard's criminal activity. He had a lot of petty crimes related to drugs like marijuana. And even he actually had a job at the Holiday Inn for a while. And he had, you know, the front master key. And he would frequently just sneak into people's rooms and he would steal their stuff. And then eventually he got caught because he was caught attempting to rape a guest's wife. The, the husband came back to the room and Richard was in there attempting to rape the wife. Now the charges were actually dropped because the couple refused to testify. After that, he dropped out of high school and he just went deeper down the rabbit hole. This is when he began to experiment with LSD 
and, wait for it, Satanism. Richard was arrested for the first time. First, meaning that there are many more to come. He was arrested for the first time when he was 17. It was in 1977 uh, for marijuana possession. Now, after he got out of jail, he took off to California where he discovered cocaine and auto theft and more just more crimes and burglary extended on that. Now, in 1981, he was arrested again for auto theft. And then in 1984, he was arrested for a third time, also for auto theft this time. Now, this was 1984. So this is where we come to when Richard really went off the chain. This is where he he really had nowhere to go but up from, you know, his three arrests and petty crimes. So on June 28th, 1984, he was committing just another one of his home burglaries, but this one became extremely violent. Her name was Jenny Vincow. She was 79 years old, and this is he sexually assaulted, then stabbed and killed her. Now, this was obviously only the beginning of his horrific string of violence, and a second crime nine months later, on March 17th, 1985, he attacked Maria Hernandez. Now, Maria actually somehow managed to escape, but then he uh, killed her roommate, Dale Okazaki. And he didn't stop there. This was all on the same night. He also killed Tai Leon Yu all on the same night. This is what caught the attention of the press, and they dubbed him as the Valley Intruder. It was only 10 days after after that attack is when um, Richard developed his like MO, his pattern that he had for all of his killings from there on out. Now this pattern was developed with Maxine and Vincent Zazara. His pattern was, is he would shoot the husband first, he would then assault the wife and stab her to death. Now in this case, uh, with Maxine, he even gouged out her eyes. So it was a very gruesome scene. And Richard just continued to take this pattern all over California. His crimes stretched from L.A. to San Francisco, killing people anywhere from the age range of 22 to 80 years old. So he really, he really didn't, he spared nobody. He was stalking people, finding couples, and killing them. I will read you a few more of his crimes that he committed. On July 5th, 1985, Ramirez, he broke into a home in Sierra Madre, California. Uh, He started beating up a 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron while she was sleeping. And he ended up trying to strangle her with a telephone cord, so he didn't kill her while she was sleeping. This was in the kitchen. And Ramirez got shocked by, like, the open wire from, like, these sparks that came from the telephone cord. And Bennett was able to escape. And... Richard decided to take off and he said that he believed that it was that because Jesus Christ had saved her and that was like Jesus stopping it and that's that was his reason why she survived the attack Bennett didn't walk away unharmed she actually had to get 478 stitches on July 7th so this is two days later after he broke into Joyce Lucille Nelson's home this is Monterey Park now this was kind of a big thing he He beat her to death while she was sleeping, uh, but he left a shoe print on her face. And that comes into play later for how he got caught. So I just wanted to mention that. So speaking of getting caught, he has this trail of violence and with all of his killings and he, he would do satanic rituals. He would leave symbols in the home and his pattern of shooting the husband and then killing the wife. It was a whole 
satanic ritual that we have. And the police, it was after the uh, Vincent and Maxine incident, they went on this full-scale attempt to try to find him. So they created a task force, a special task force specifically for him, and the FBI was assisting in this. Now at this time, they decided to change his nickname from, it was, you know, the Valley Intruder, and this is when they coined the name the Night Stalker because he would stalk people and, you know, all of his crimes happened at night. But, you know, this all had to come to an end at some point. One of the big nights that really spurred his capture was August 24th, 1985. This was almost 14 months later after all this began. It was in Mission Viejo that he was a, a witness saw him outside of a window and they took note of his car and license plate and also he left a shoe print they also found later that night around that area where the witness saw him so that shoe print was also matched to what i said earlier which he left on that poor young woman's face so later that night he also broke into somebody's house he raped a woman and he shot her fiance uh, but she actually was left alive this time and the only one of the reasons why she was left alive is because he made her swear her love for satan and she ended up swearing her love for Satan. But she gave a detailed description of Richard to the police and told them about the whole satanic thing. And it was a few days later that his car was found abandoned and they managed to lift a fingerprint from the car. And they put the fingerprint into the system and boom, Richard Mears popped up. So they finally knew who the night soccer was because before they didn't know who it was, they just thought it was a random person. They took Richard's old mugshot and they, it hit national TV. It was in the papers. He was all over the place. Now, for some reason, Richard was clueless to this. He went to go visit his brother. He took a bus to Tucson, Arizona. And he was just totally unaware of his national media attention. I don't know how he would do that. So, And this is on August 31st. He was actually at the bus stop in Los Angeles, returning back to there. And he just actually, I guess, apparently walked past some police who were at the bus station looking for him. And he just, you know, walked right on past them. They just totally missed him. This is when he found out, he saw his face on the newspapers after that happened. And he's like, oh my God, I gotta get out of here. So he panicked and he fled to the Santa Ana freeway and he tried to carjack a vehicle. And like the first one failed, they tried to carjack a second vehicle and bystanders, this was in East LA, these residents guys, they saw him and they ran over, stopped the carjacking and held him until the police arrived. Now, Richard's time in, in jail and in the courtroom was courts and things were delayed over and over again because they were fighting over jurisdiction because his crimes happened all over California. So there was things about that. And one of the jurors during his trial was actually murdered. They found him dead and they thought maybe that Richard was involved and like had something to do with the murder. Nothing conclusive was ever found that he was involved. And also he developed this huge uh, cult following, which was wild. So all these satanic supporters, he actually married one of them. Her name was Doreen. Now, I guess they shared a bunch of letters, like almost 75 letters. And they got married at the San Quentin State Prison. That was in 1996. It took like four years for, uh, for his whole trial to come to an end. And in 1989, he was sentenced to death. And to which Richard responded in the courtroom, 
Quote, hey, big deal. Death always comes with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. End quote. Richard died in 2013 from complications from B-cell lymphoma. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to 80s Decade of Crime. If you liked this episode, just give us a five star, you know, give us a review. I'd like to know what you think. You can also follow us on Instagram at 80s Crime Podcast for updates, images about the cases we cover. And for a list of all the sources uh, we use in this episode, you can go check out the show notes wherever you tuned in. And thank you again for listening, guys. I'm your host. I'll see you next time. I'll talk to you next time. There's not really seeing in podcasts. This episode was written and researched by myself, Luke Pacheco, and Zariah Hendry. And 80s Decadive Crime was edited and produced by Zariah Hendry. And our soundtrack was actually composed by Kyle Hendry. <laughs>